you. Welcome into the Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. My name is Dan Betlock filling in for Alex Ferrario and filling in for Joy Vitale is the uh, Blues Radio play-by-play voice, Chris Kerber. He is live from Pittsburgh tonight. Kerb, what's up, man? Hey, this is how you just come right off the bench and take care of things, Dan. Nice job. That's right. Next man up, and uh, I'm ready to fill the fourth-line role and do what I need to do, okay? Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's been uh, one heck of a start for the St. Louis Blues this season, 18-5-6. and six. Points in all in every game but five this year. It's quite remarkable. They've played 29 games. Uh, they have 42 points. And, and Curbs, there was a lot of talk about the Stanley Cup hangover and the, the month of November was going to be a, a struggle. And sure, they had some, some bumps, but for the most part, it's been smooth sailing for this Blues team. It, well, yeah, except for the injuries, injuries and how they've yes. done it. They're, they're finding the results without a doubt. But I'll tell you this. I, I got into the hotel last night, and – Put on the NHL network, uh, we're lucky enough to have a hotel that had, you know, sometimes it's amazing how many times a team will stay in a hotel that doesn't have NHL network these days. But that's, that's another topic for another story. Anyway, I put it on there, and they're going through the highlights of the games, and the Blues highlights are coming up, so I'm wondering what they're going to see. Mike Rupp is doing it. And they actually made the comment, like, like Mike Rupp said, Jamie Hurst asked the question and said, you know, man, did, did, did you really think that the Blues would be this good? And and he said no. And he goes, I actually he had he had the Blues either missing the playoffs or being just a bubble team to make the playoffs. And I I wish I had a DVR because I wanted to rewind it and hear what he had to say again. And I was I was listening to this dance going, now wait a minute, you were good enough to win the Stanley Cup. You bring every player back but one in Pat Maroon, and then you make a trade for a top-four defenseman for Joel Edmondson. You've got both goaltenders who continue to do it, and I'm sitting here thinking, what in the world would make you think that this is at best a bubble playoff team? Like, I, I can, now, he fully admitted, Dan, that he, was, that he was wrong. He goes, I was so wrong. You're like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but I'm wondering what your thought process even was to get to that point. Yeah, because even when you look at all the, the moving parts that they – like you said, they acquired Justin Falk for Joel Edmondson, but you had the the goaltending tandem coming back. You had a lot of your top six forwards coming back, and there's a lot of things to like about this team. And, yeah, yes, now they've hit some injury bugs, and the depth is, sh- is shining through right now. But I think even heading into this season with, uh, I think you expected another career year out of Ryan O'Reilly, Shen to take off again. And Schwartz had an off year last year offensively, and uh, he's starting to pick it up more recently. But there was a lot of pieces to this team that you really liked from last year. So, yeah, looking at it on paper, and other than Pat Maroon and a few other names, it didn't change that much from the team that won the Stanley Cup. It seems to me there's it's an interesting scenario here. And I wonder if – how the Blues are winning ends up changing how some general managers look at it. Uh, you look at the way the St. Louis Blues did things, and the closest thing they had to a superstar is Vladimir Tarasenko. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we're putting Vladimir Tarasenko in the Connor McDavid, at this point Leon Draisaitl, you know, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin conversation. And having said that, in fairness to Vladimir, uh, he, Next to Alex Ovechkin, nobody had scored more even strength goals in the last four or five years than he had. Um, but I, I, you just don't have some of that dynamic play maybe that you see out of those guys. Now, Vladimir Tarasenko is sitting there injured, and he's got 214 career goals and 214 career assists, right? There's nothing lopsided. He's as balanced a player you know, as, as there is. So he's the closest thing that the Blues have to the super, uh, superstar. 
they have a rookie goaltender, and it's fair to everybody ask the question, was he for real last year? And he seems to be backing it up. And when you talk to people around the National Hockey League right now, they look at this and they're going, yeah, they, they, they definitely are seeing the real deal in Jordan Bennington. I go back to the Stanley Cup final. We're in Boston for game number five, Dan, and several different national writers or broadcasters came up and said, well, you know, it looks like the Blues might actually have a chance. And I just looked at it and go, what the hell have you guys been watching? You know, like, mm-hmm. first off, the Blues had a much harder route to get to the Stanley Cup final than the Boston Bruins did. Secondly, in the second half of the season, there was no team that played better hockey than the St. Louis Blues did. Record-wise proved it. Five-on-five hockey proved it. Goals against proved it. Uh, and and so you're, you're sitting there looking at it and going, hey, like, like guys – they don't want to trust their eye test for some reason. And so what the Blues have done here at the beginning of the year is is spectacular. It shouldn't surprise people be because of the success they had under Craig Berube for 40 games last season. Now, what does start to open your eyes is when you lose the players that the Blues have lost, man, my goodness, and then they've continued to roll over the teams that they've rolled over, uh, then you're seeing something that you're going, man, this could be as much about system and how you know the demanding aspect of this coaching staff as anything else. But they're taking advantage of it. They're working it. They're, they're, I mean, they did exactly what they needed to do last night in Chicago. Absolutely rolled the Blackhawks. They weathered a little storm in the second period, but where we're, Jake Allen was just fantastic again, too. So you got to love what the Blues are doing right now, Dan. Absolutely. And you mentioned the, uh, the eye test, and even going back to what Mike Rupp was saying, of uh, maybe looking at the roster and it's not as sexy as maybe someone like an Edmonton that has a dry sidles and stuff like that. And maybe the Blues on to some of these national guys don't pass the paper test on the roster test, names on the back of the of the uh, jersey test. But I think once you watch this team, the eye test, I mean, they pass with flying colors in the way that they play. They forecheck, they grind, the goaltending, the defense. It just seems like they're a perfect storm. You know, one of the things that they're doing right now, uh, and we saw this change when when the Blues went from Ken Hitchcock to Mike Yo, and Mike Yo put a change the defensive system around just a little bit. Um, they defended well in front of the net. And I'll go back to a story that I, I know fans have heard me tell several times, but that very first full practice with Mike Yo as head coach, he did a drill where they battled out of the corner to get the front to the puck to the front of the net. And it was less about the forwards play in the offensive zone. It was how he wants to defend in front of his net. And by defending in front of the net, they cut down on a lot of those grade A chances and and the Blues started to take off. And they had a terrific uh, record under Mike Yo the rest of that season. Craig Maruby took over, put that focus in there again. And in, I'd say, especially in these last six games that the Blues have won in regulation, even if you see a breakdown coming off the wall, and the Blackhawks, I mean, they, look, they still have some good players. They're, they're still Kane, Taves, Saad, and, and some other really good players. You know, they might beat a player off the wall, but when they got into the faceoff circle, there was another layer of defense defending in front of the net. And when a pass came from the wall, somebody, Bo Meester, was in the middle. Perico was in the middle to knock it down to clear it out. They're defending so well in between the faceoff dots uh, right now that it's making it extremely hard for teams to really get in there and get some second and third opportunities. And that's if the Blues goaltending is giving it up. And that, that goaltending has just been outstanding. Yeah, the goaltending has been the focal point of the team right now, especially when you think of 
you know, they had that those scoring droughts curbs uh, early on or in the middle of the November, early parts of October, and it was Jordan Bennington making the big save. It was Jake Allen keeping the team in, in the game when they were down 2 nothing and making the save to keep them in, uh, to not get it out of hand where it goes 3 nothing. Blues can get that 2-1 to one goal. But I'm just so impressed with the way that how with, you know, not, so when the Blues are offensively challenged, the one constant really has been the goaltending, and that's really going to drive them um, what's, it's really been driving force of their success so far, and when we look at the schedule ahead, they're going to need that goaltending. Yeah, they are going to need that goaltending, Dan, and it's going to be one of those really important things that, uh, well, I'll go back to something Craig Berube said, just a couple of, uh, Craig Berube made this mention uh, oh, in his in his post-game press conference just a, a couple of games ago, actually it was a pre-game one, and, and somebody asked him about the way the goaltending was going, and the response that he has, well, yeah, it's been good, but it has to be good, and it does have to be good. Mm-hmm. You look at last night's game, and that was that was a game where you had to go into that one thinking that that Jordan Bennington was going to play, you know, and here was Jake Allen that was playing. There was an opportunity for the St. Louis Blues to give Jordan Bennington a little bit more rest. Jake Allen has been playing really well. They want to keep him feeling the puck. They want to keep him on that role. That's what Craig Berube told me before the game last night, and and he was able to get the job done. And when you go through the month of November with all the injuries that the St. Louis Blues have had, and you end up with the second-best goals against average and the third-best save percentage combined between your goaltenders, you're doing something really well. And I know fans may get a little bit tired of me saying this, but what Doug Armstrong has right now is an absolute luxury. When you look at the fact that when last night the Chicago Blackhawks could not dress a full lineup because of cap issues. The St. Louis Blues are in a situation where with both their goaltenders healthy, they're spending just under $9 million for the two goaltenders, and they have them under contract for this year and next year. Uh, David Alexander is doing a terrific job as, as the goaltending coach with these guys. He are getting results. The team is defending well in front of them. And you need that goaltending without a shred of doubt if you're going to find a way to be successful. You just, you know, it, it's one of the biggest reasons. It, it, look, we mentioned the Edmonton Oilers and all that talent that they have, Dan. It's one of the biggest reasons that the Edmonton Oilers haven't succeeded further is they just haven't had the goaltending. Absolutely. That's Chris Kerber. I'm Dan Betlock. This is the Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. When we come back, there's been a lot of talk about the the culture of coaching and hockey and how it's starting to change a little bit. Uh, Of course, Bill Peters and all that uh, from Calgary Flames and a lot of other players stepping up. Mark Crawford didn't uh, sit on the bench last night for the Blackhawks because of an allegation from him or uh, against him. So we'll get into that a little bit more with Curbs and talk about how that's changing in hockey. So that's next. Chris Kerber from Pittsburgh. I'm Dan Betlock here in St. Louis. This is The Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Welcome back into The Week in Hockey. Dan Betlock filling in for Alex Ferrario today and Chris Kerber filling in for Joy Vitale as we kick off segment two here on 101 ESPN. And uh, Curbs, let's get into uh, something that maybe uh, it's really been taken really ahead recently with, um, especially when you look at in 2019, really a lot of um, things coming back from people's past coming to haunt them now, uh, right or wrong, I don't know. Uh, but it's abusive hockey coaches are finally uh, facing a reckoning, right or wrong again, not sure. But uh, a lot of things that seem to be happening in the past coming now in the light uh, in the future when maybe it should have been handled in the, in the first place but either way they're speaking up now just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on uh, what's going around the league right now with this kind of the the abusive hockey coaches because i know you growing up you played sports i played sports uh, if you want to play sports at an elite level 
coaches are going to push to get the best out of you. Some maybe step the line, some maybe toe the line. Uh, but I think that that's kind of the culture of sports right now, and maybe it's changing for the better or worse. I'm not sure. What are your thoughts? I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, to be honest with you. And I think we should be real. I think you really want to kind of keep an eye on this outside of just the sport of hockey. I, I think this could this could spread into other sports. And uh, I, I think there's no. I think one of the worst cultures in sports, hands down, is football. Mm-hmm. Um, I experienced I experienced it with the Junior Owls program uh, this this past fall. Um, you know, where a youth football coach uh, was, uh, was 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 frankly just rude and, and yes, abusive towards a girls' soccer team, um, uh, and you know, and, and that guy, that, that guy, Greg Patterson, is still in charge of that program. Um, but the way I took my approach when I decided to make a pretty big stink about it was not look. This is not about a guy being fired. I mean, if, if a guy needs to be removed, then it's up to the parents of that youth group to do it. It's about an awareness saying, hey, you, you got to change your behavior. And and the reason I bring that story up is right now what's going on in the National Hockey League, Greg, is I think uh, a continued cultural awareness of there is some behavior that without a doubt is going to have to change. Um, it's going to have to change because society is going to demand that it changes. And society eventually leads to sponsors, which eventually leads to dollars. And you go on down the line. I think big picture, and we can get into some of the specifics here in a minute of some things going on in the National Hockey League. I know, like, uh, Akeem Alou actually was, was meeting in, in the NHL offices today uh, in Toronto. Uh, big picture, I, my personal belief is this. I think, as a society, we have to be very careful about applying the standards of today to actions of the past. And I do believe that there are certain actions that do transcend time uh, that that need the awareness. But I also believe that being more uh, awake of, uh, in certain scenarios and certain situations as a society now, Dan, I, I believe you have to be very careful in trying to apply those to actions of 20 years ago, of 30 years ago, of 15 years ago, uh, and and then and then holding people responsible for those actions today, way back then, um, I I would like to see coming out of this in some way, shape, or form more of an understanding of, uh, of somewhat forgiveness, somewhat understanding, and somewhat education. You are bridging right now, without a shred of doubt, we, we are definitely bridging some massive generational gaps when you're talking about coaches that are in their 50s and 60s and hockey players that are in their 20s. I mean, it's, it's a 30-year generational gap, you know, and and – Look, I'm bringing up my kids somewhat differently than my parents even brought up uh, brought me up. Uh, there, there are things that that could be done from teachers, from educators. When I was in high school, that there's no way in hell you could do now, right? Yeah. And and I just think that it, it it's creating right now. I think a very dangerous climate and temperament when we apply today's standards to 20 years ago. Now, that doesn't mean that issues didn't exist. That doesn't mean that issues don't happen. That doesn't mean that the conversations don't have to take place so you can learn from them, educate, and move forward. That 100% has to happen. 
But if the immediate reaction is anybody that did something wrong 20 years ago, 10 years ago, is immediately fired because of public pressure versus the using it as an edu- educational approach, right? Mm-hmm. That's a different that that's a different thing. So so to me, that's the big picture of my feelings on this. Getting to more of the specifics, one of the things that that concerns you is when you look into a pattern of behavior. It's what was that pattern of behavior? Now we haven't heard from Mike Babcock when it comes to this yet. But you are hearing from a lot of people that have dealt with Mike Babcock, and not very much of it at all is very positive. Mm-hmm. I also try to separate something. I try to separate the locker room from the general. Look, if you have reports of somebody just treating a, a security worker, a, a, you know, a cleaning crew per, a worker, a, somebody in the organization wrong as well, well, you know, th- th- that doesn't exist. I don't, know, I don't know yet in sports if we can apply the rules of the boardroom to the locker room. I just don't know that it'll work. I don't know that in talking to current athletes, and this has been a terrific topic over the last, uh, obviously, a couple weeks when when you you talk to some of the players, and and I've talked to some athletes in other sports, I I just don't know where that line is, you know, and um, uh, now... Look, the line in terms of of, of, of some of the of a racial slur, of a uh, you know of a homophobic slur, that kind of stuff. Yes, okay, we know where that line is. Yes. But in terms of getting in a guy's face, in terms of trying to fire him up, in mm-hmm. terms of trying to get the best out of them and push them to the limit, for uh, that's going to be a hard culture to change in sports, Dan, and it and it goes everywhere. So. One, is an incident that somebody's griping about, is it a one-off? I, I think we need to look at that, and then we need to decide, is there a learning curve to be had here? Two, is there a bore of a pattern of behavior? The, the situation I brought up with that youth football team, that was a pattern of behavior, right, that 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 needed to be addressed, and, and unfortunately I don't think it was uh, completely addressed. So... Uh, th- those are those are the issues that you have to look at and try to apply it. I also think, Dan, and I know I'm a little long-winded on this, but uh, hopefully I'm hitting on all the, the key points. I also really do believe that we, in these situations, we cannot be a headline Twitter-based society. You are going to have to allow for time for stories to be told. You're going to have to allow for time for teams, for players, for organizations to look into allegations. I was bothered that Mark Crawford was taken off the bench last night by Chicago. And I was only bothered because of this. One, unless the Chicago Blackhawks know more, unless there's other factors that show that pattern of behavior, I don't like the knee-jerk reaction of taking him off the bench just because of public opinion. Mm -hmm. I believe you do your due diligence. As Calgary did, and then when it really seemed to mount, then they pulled Bill Peters. All right? Uh, I just – and now they had the luxury of having some time in between games. I don't like that immediate reaction. And when it comes specifically to the Crawford one, I think it's also to you have to consider a source here. Okay? Uh, I don't – Sean Avery's track record uh, in terms of things he has said – uh, in terms of how he has handled things, should give you enough pause to say we are going to look deeper into this before we take disciplinary action against our coach. Now, in the end, you may justify it and everything is there. 
I didn't like the way that thing looked, at least on the surface, because of that and because of, you know, you're, you're talking about a guy in, in Sean Avery, you know, that, that, that his actions on the ice at times could be, could be questionable as well. And so I think you have to consider all that factor in there. Now, having said all that, you've got to tie it together with this especially when it comes to mental health issues, okay? A lot of times you don't know what somebody is dealing with. You really don't. It's why we try to bring in the human aspect on our broadcast as much as possible because you just don't know. You don't know if a guy's kids were sick that night. You don't know what that person was dealing with that day. You, You don't know sometimes what they're going through, okay? Having said that, you've got to make sure that the culture exists that players management, coaches, and this is not just in sports. This is just in anything. There has to be a culture in place where people have to be able to feel comfortable to step up and say something that they feel was wrong because that is as critical an issue as anything going on here. So uh, the league has got to be careful. Teams have to be careful. Broadcasters, uh, uh, opinionators, like the one I'm giving now, you've got to be careful to make sure, though, that you don't condemn somebody coming forward, right? We want you to be able to tell us what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and what's going on. And then you also have to create some level of standards of how those things are going to be handled. Um, look, this this goes so far beyond sports, Dan, where I think there has to be such knee-jerk reactions I don't necessarily think that in all these allegations that it means that somebody's livelihood and entire life and career should come crashing down, especially if we're talking about incidents from so many years ago. Now, again, that's that pattern of behavior I'm I'm, I'm talking about that I, I would like to see at least some level of additional training, you know, situations that happen there. But, again, you have to decide, and, and the leagues are going to have to decide, uh, the boardroom culture how much of that applies to a locker room culture, and the players are going to have to be involved with it. But like I said, again, very carefully, you've got to you've got to listen to the people that have something to say because, one, it can be very therapeutic. Two, they may need to. And three, they may have some extremely valid points that you have to keep an eye on and, um, you know, and, and monitor, and you cannot just brush them under the carpet in today's world. So... Uh, I, I do think that this, this is going to go beyond uh, the, the National Hockey League, and, and this is going to start to permeate, I think, into into some other sports uh, around the country. Yeah, I don't think I think this is probably just the, just the beginning of it, getting into the sports world for sure. And you going back to the kind of the knee jerk reactions and kind of the Twitterverse in 2019, it seems where it's more of I'm going to read the headline, I'm not going to read the story. Or, right. You know, or well, I, I read this this damning headline, but when you get into the story, it's oh, there's a lot more to this. Or I'm not going to I'm, I'm going to read the story, then I'm going to make a decision when we don't know all the facts. And I'll give you an example. None of this right now is looking very good on Mike Babcock. No, none of it. Okay, Chris Chelios in, in, in doing you know the Spit and Chicklets podcast, you know, told the story of Franzen. Franzen is then interviewed over in Sweden about it, and you know the story comes out about what what Johan Franzen was dealing with you know, from a mental standpoint and how Mike Babcock really belittled him mentally, according to Franzen, and how that all turned out for him. And, and it's, it, is, it is not a good story. Having said that, I don't know what Mike Babcock knew about Franzen's mental state before that. Yeah. Okay, now, that, that's not necessarily – and I hope fans hear this. That's not necessarily condoning the behavior that happened. 
but I, you can't necessarily not a mind throw the book at him <laughs> from the standpoint of saying you knew this was going on yeah. and you ignored it and did this anyway. Those are two different scenarios. Yes. Uh, and and so to me, I think you you do have to let some of the real story truly come out. And that's where the, the true journalists in the world that are going to uh, attack and try and find exactly what happened is there. Th- there's a fantastic piece right now um, on YouTube that Sportsnet did on Patrick Berglund. It runs about 10 minutes. If fans haven't seen it, fans should, fans should watch it, especially if you're a fan of Patrick Berglund. And, and you can see still some of the frustration that Patrick had and why things happened, but you also see some of the happiness and what he was dealing with. Well, he's a perfect example of nobody knew really what was going on in Patrick Berglund's mind, you know, after that trade to Buffalo. And so you try to handle things as just a normal player coming in, here's where we're going to go. And if somebody had known, and part of this is on Patrick, if he had been more vocal and more open about it, and you had a culture that could be more vocal and open about it in your sport, if that is the case, Patrick Berglund's NHL career may still be going on. But it got so bad for him internally that he walked away from the team, and the team at the time wasn't even aware of how bad it was for him. So it, it, to me, Patrick Berglund is a great example of maybe not having all the information uh, before you kind of figure out what's happening and what's going on. And as we know, when somebody starts to deal with things mentally, uh, it, it can be a very difficult issue. Absolutely. That's Chris Kerber. I'm Dan Betlock. This is The Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. When we come back, or Hockey Talk. We'll get back into the Blues who are getting contributions from all over the ice. Nathan Walker, Ivan Barbashev, uh, guys in the fourth line, De La Rose, stepping up and playing big roles for this team right now uh, amidst all these injuries. We'll get into that next here in the Week in Hockey, 101 ESPN. Welcome back into the Week in Hockey. Dan Betlock with you filling in for Alex Ferrario on the phone with Chris Kerber tonight who is live from Pittsburgh. The uh, Blues and Penguins tomorrow night. You can hear that broadcast right here on 101 ESPN beginning at 6 o'clock with the Mitsubishi Electric pregame show presented by First Community. And then the puck drop just after 7 uh, with Curbs and Joey. Uh, Curbs, let's get into this. Uh, the, the depth the Blues have been on display here uh, with all these injuries. Steen out, Sunquist out, Blay out, Tarasenko out. I think I saw it was, what, 13-3-3 without Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, they just seem to be able to plug and uh, play, basically, uh, racking up points, which is instrumental in this league. It is a point um, accumulation league. The Blues are doing a fantastic job of that. Uh, right now, again, points in all but five games this season for the St. Louis Blues, and they have been getting contributions from all over the ice. Well, they have, and, you know, there's a couple of factors that go into that. To me, first and foremost is you're playing a demanding system that everybody is committed to playing. And, if you you know, you the nights where the Blues can look discombobulated, it's where, you know, a couple of players just aren't quite as committed to that that system of play. Uh, it's predicated on solid defense. It's predicated on on really strong back checking, and then of course uh, the the great goaltending that they've been getting. But it also, as we've seen with with the call ups that the Blues have had, Doug Armstrong for a long time, Dan, has had this philosophy of making sure that you have NHL ready players able to be brought up when an injury happens. And yeah, look, it's going to really get tested when you're talking about a situation of four or five guys out of the lineup, but. When you're able to call up a Nathan Walker who was knocking on the door to be a regular NHLer, and within two games he's playing on your top line, when you're able to to go ahead and sign a player like Troy Brower who can give you 10 very consistent, good, predictable minutes a game and fill in, 
you know, when you're able to go down and bring up a Derek Pooley out of 200 NHL games experience to play defense for two games against some critical teams, that that tells you a whole heck of a lot. And that is a it is an organizational philosophy that has been really important for Doug Armstrong. Yeah, and even you saying that just made me think of. Going back to even when Army first got here, when uh, the CPR line, they'd have to call up Cracknell or Porter would have to come up, and those guys would come in and fill those fourth-line roles, be NHL-ready, as you mentioned, or even getting a guy like Scotty Upshaw to come in here, sign him to a a friendly contract, and have a really big impact on this team on the fourth line. So you're absolutely right. I think Doug Armstrong and staff's ability to have those third, fourth-line players ready to go and also have those guys step into a top-six role for a couple weeks as well says a lot about the the direction of this team. I told the story to Bernie uh, on on Monday when I I do that hit every Monday morning at 8 o'clock with with Bernie Miklas, Dan. And one of Doug Armstrong's first moves that he wound up making was the trade of Aaron Pelushai, who I believe was a second-round pick, uh, early second-round pick. Traded Aaron Pelushai to Montreal for Matt D'Agostini. Now, Pelusha yeah. had, a, had a cup of coffee, but really didn't pan into anything in the NHL. And, I'll, and I remember what Doug Armstrong told me at the time. He says, look, we can wait for this player to develop, or we think that there's a player that plays a similar style that what we think that Aaron Pelusha would play, and he's further along in the development. So we were able to make that move and advance that by a year or two, and Aaron played, uh, or, or, or Matt D'Agostini, was a very solid player for three years with the St. Louis Blues. That, that's what they did. That's what he did with Derek Pouliot. He found guys that hadn't had job offers yet, and they go out and they, they make them a job offer. And then those job offers, they see opportunity, you know. And uh, and and it's really an important aspect of what how the Blues philosophically do it. You've got to be able to call up a guy like a Nathan Walker, who you think is more NHL ready than a Clem Costin. And so Clem Costin comes up had a really good first game. And then just an okay second game and a not-so-okay third game. You fully expect that to happen when you call up a 20-year-old to play in the National Hockey League. All right? Well, you're going to have less of those big peaks and big valleys when you call up guys that have a little bit more experience. And then the the story of Troy Brower and how they talked at that day, and next thing you know he's coming in, <laughs> and he ends up making this team. Uh, now all of a sudden – Instead of having youthful mistakes, which I, some, some fans love to have the youth. They want the youth coming up, but they don't yep. want the mistakes that are going to come with yeah, it, right? And they're coming. <laughs> you know, they, they, they don't want to put up with the ups and downs. And fans, fans can get a little impatient sometimes yeah. and not, not realize just how, you know, you can do sometimes more damage than good by young players making mistakes at, at the pro level, at, at the major league level, the NHL level, than, they, than if they're in the American League or in double-A AA or triple-A baseball. You can get away with mistakes at those lower levels and learn from them. In the National Hockey League, you can't get away. You can't get away with those mistakes. They end up in the back of your net. You end up losing a game, and then a coach says, I don't know that I can play you. So you've got to be careful with those learning opportunities with the young players. Blues have done a great job of stocking themselves with enough veteran players that when they need to call people up, they can come in and and find a way to help this team. Now, where it's going to get real interesting to me, Dan, is if and when guys start to get healthy, what do you do? Yeah, especially with guys like Nathan Walker, who's seemingly uh, playing 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 himself onto this roster with the way he's played the last few games. And then you just signed Troy Brower. Uh, Mackenzie McEachern's played well in his time. Jacob De La Rosa is finally starting to find his role. You're absolutely right. It's going to be something to watch here when, when Steen comes back, Blake comes back, uh, Sunquist. 
they've got more depth now, which is obviously a good thing. Uh, they're going to have some tough decisions to make. Well, they will, and that depth can can disappear in a real hurry. Larry Plow always talked about asset management. At one point in time, Matt Walker, big defenseman for the St. Louis Blues, wore number 28. If Matt Walker was playing well enough to stay in the National Hockey League, and the Blues kept sending him down. And when you asked Larry Plow why you're doing it, he, he would say asset management. He was the one player that they could send up and down that they didn't have to worry about having to clear waivers. If he had to clear waivers, they were convinced that somebody was going to take him, and then you lose that depth. Well, the Blues, now the flip side to what we just talked about with having more of these veteran players, right, is even though you might have a guy like Nathan Walker or even Troy Brower signed a two-way contract, even though you might have those guys on two-way contracts, once you've called up Nathan Walker, and I believe it's a, uh, and, and I'll have to double check on this, but I, I, I believe it's, it's the, the 10 game in 30 days. If, he, if he's up for 10 games or 30 days, he'll have to clear waivers to go down. I'm pretty convinced if you put Matt Walker yeah. on waivers, he's going to get claimed by somebody. Now, whoever claims him has to keep him on their NHL roster. They just can't claim him and send him down to the American Hockey League. They would have, he would have to clear waivers with that organization to be able to go down. Uh, so you've got that situation. So one of the reasons Troy Brower signed a two-way contract and was willing to do it is he's betting on himself. You know that that there isn't an opportunity that he proves in this window while guys are hurt that he should be and can be an everyday regular NHLer, and the Blues can afford to keep him on the roster if that's the case. The other reason he did is two-way contracts are actually you're more likely to get picked up by another team if you have a two-way contract. Because let's say the Blues were to put Trey Brower, for example, onto waivers, right? And uh, heck, for for whatever reason, it's Nashville or it's Washington or it's Boston. Somebody goes, you know what? He's been playing well. We could use him, but we may not have to be locked into him because if he they were to put him on waivers, they could send him down if they have a roster situation. So, you know, we're not you're not even thinking right now about Vladimir Tarasenko coming back until at least March if not 1st of April, right? It's the end of March would have been that five-month window. So that's one guy you're not worrying about. Oscar Sundquist wasn't as, uh, wasn't as bad as they thought it was. As a matter of fact, yesterday wasn't even walking around in a boot, just had a tennis shoe on. That's a good sign. Alexander Steen skated a couple of days ago. I haven't had an update you know, from him on, on where he's at. But you got to figure he's still maybe you know a, a good couple weeks out. So these guys have an opportunity to prove themselves, but if they hit that threshold, and then those guys start to come back. Don't forget you're pretty tight up against the cap, the St. Louis Blues are. They might have to put a guy or two on waivers, and if they if they end up getting taken, they end up getting taken, and that's kind of the cost of doing business. But it'll definitely be intriguing because you'll have to decide, hey, do you keep a – you know, Mackenzie McEachern's on a, one, on a one-way contract. Jacob De La Rose, you know, you acquired him. What, what do you do with him? Is he one of the guys you're keeping? There's a lot of evaluating that the Blues have to do here over the next couple of weeks on these guys. And yeah, a lot of evaluating it, and the, the guys, the way they're playing, are going to make it very difficult on Doug Armstrong to make this decision and maybe very, make it very easy for a team to pick them up have, uh, should they go through waivers because uh, it seems like right now the plug-and-play, it seems to be working. Craig Berube has a pulse on this team that uh, that it is just quite amazing. If something's not going wrong, he tinkers here and there, and that, that move seems to work. It was uh, I know Bozak didn't score any goals when he was up on the right side of Shannon Schwartz, but that line was cooking. They had a lot of opportunities, and there were plenty of times where Tyler Bozak was skating away from the net, looking to the high heavens of how did that puck not go in? And then he moves Barbashev up, and then Walker goes up on that. It just seems that Craig Berube, his pulse, his finger on the team right now, he knows exactly what uh, what move to make at the at the right time. 
Yeah, the, you know what? I'm, I'm waiting for more people around the world of hockey to start talking about the tactical moves that Craig Berube yeah. is making. Just about everything he touched and every adjustment he made last season from the time he took over seemed to turn into gold. Yes. And in the playoffs, it was an over. I mean, I'll go back to that Winnipeg series and the first game or two, even though the Blues won those first two games, the, Wheeler was having some success at Wheeler line. And the moment that they moved Sunquist up, that changed that series around. I mean, things along those kind of lines, pull a guy out, put a guy mm-hmm. in, it, it just it seemed to work so well for him. I think Craig Berube is showing to be a terrific in-game tactician. Something just doesn't feel right. The other night, it just didn't. He just didn't wasn't happy with the chances that he was seeing for Shannon Schwartz, and he put Nathan Walker up there because of his speed and the way he can hound the puck. Things along these kind of lines, you know. I uh, uh, it, it just it's a terrific aspect of his game that still being fairly new with the St. Louis Blues as a head coach. We're still we're still learning as outsiders just how good he is in this department, but he's been fantastic at it. Yeah, and, and he absolutely has, and um, and he's off to a great start this year. Curbs, uh, thank you so much for joining us. I know you got to get uh, back into stuff uh, in Pittsburgh, so thanks for joining us in the week in hockey, and uh, we'll talk to you and Joey tomorrow for uh, Blues Penguins. You got it, Dan. Uh, great job filling in for Alex. Hopefully he's feeling better, and uh, we'll talk to you guys for uh, all the – game day festivities tomorrow. All right, that's Chris Kerber. Coming up next on the Week in Hockey, we'll have a, a cup of Joe with uh, Joe Vitale, who sits down with Zach Sanford, and they talk some Star Wars. That's next here on the Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Right, welcome back into the Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. My name is Dan Betlock, filling in for Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitale. Big thanks to Chris Kerber for joining us from Pittsburgh for a few segments. But don't forget, Kerbs and Joey on the call tomorrow night, Blues and Penguins, 7 o'clock puck drop right here, 101 ESPN. Uh, one of the things we like to do during our intermissions during the Blues broadcast is a Krispy Kreme cup of Joe. It's Joe Vitale. He's in the locker room, and he sits down with uh, Blues players and plays a little Would You Rather, as talks about life, talks about movies, just tries to get an angle uh, outside of hockey to get these guys talking. So uh, it airs every first intermission. So between the first and second periods of our Blues broadcast on 101 ESPN, you can catch the Krispy Kreme Cup of Joe. And last night, he had a chance to sit down with Zach Sanford. We're here with Zach Sanford on this Cup of Joe. And Zach, I first want to get into a little bit of hockey really quickly. Back with O'Reilly and David Perron over his last stretch of games. And first of all, how's it feel to be back with that old line? And, and what is something that they do on a daily basis in their game that you just really admire and you're trying to implement more in your game? Uh, yeah, it's been awesome being back with them. I mean, uh, I think the last few games especially, we were starting to really get our game back. You know, we had a lot of last year, so it's uh, it's been fun and exciting. Um, you know, as far as those two, you, just, you can just watch them and see all the little things they do so well, you know, override down low, protecting pucks and keeping pucks alive. And then um, I think obviously the, one of the biggest parts of uh, – David's game is his shot. You know, he's always he's always finding those areas and trying to get open and, and get that quick shot off. So for me, it's just trying to get pucks back and, and get them in good areas with the puck and uh, create offense off of that. Uh, the puck possession, as you just mentioned, for Ryan O'Reilly, and I've noticed your your puck possession game, and I even said on the broadcast the other night, has really ranched, ramped it up another level as far as holding on to it and using your body. Is that is that more of a mindset as far as protecting pucks, or is it, or is it strictly just physical? I think for me it's been more of a mindset. I mean, uh, I think at the beginning of the year I was, you know, I'd get the puck and I'd kind of just poke it away or just throw it away and try to make a play too quick. But I think, uh, you know, I've gained a little confidence here in, in, in my game and, um, 
you know, for me, it's definitely just a mindset, you know, being able to hold on to pucks and, and wait for the right play and wait for help. And um, I think it's been going pretty well with those two. When David Perron, you mentioned his shot, just to get into that really quickly, how is he able to, when he someone's in front of him, someone's got a stick on the puck, how is he able to get pucks through, not only the defender, but to the net? I mean, it's it's a lot of practice. I think over the years, he's he's got one of the better shots on our team, especially when he's dragging it like that. And um, you know, obviously, you've seen his hands. He's got great hands. So for him to be able to move the puck like that, you know, around defenders, around sticks, and, and find that shooting lane, I think it's just you know practice over time and him knowing where he has to go with the puck to get it through. Zach, everyone does a little something different on playing. Some guys play cards. Some guys listen to music. Uh, Jay Bowmeister is always reading a book. Are you a movie guy on the planes? Big movie guy. I mean, I sit with Tomer, so he said he's going to get us a movie one of these days, but it always seems to be me renting the movie and downloading it on my laptop. <laughs> so you guys watch the same movie and use a splitter for the, for the headphones? Is that how you guys do it? No, we actually, I never knew, but we figured out how to connect two Bluetooth headphones. Oh, nice. So we, uh, it takes us a couple of tries, but we eventually figure it out and get it dialed in. Well, what's the most recent movie you guys both watched together, you and Robert Thomas, that uh, you've really enjoyed? Um, hmm. We're both pretty big, like, superhero Star Wars kind of guys. So we watch a lot of the Marvel movies. On the way here, we watched uh, Star Wars Episode 3, um, Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> so <laughs> we got it. We like those nerdy movies, I guess. <laughs> you know what's funny you say nerdy? Because I said geeky on the air. I was talking to Chris Kerber because he's a big Star Wars fan, and I called him a geek on the air, and then he was mad at me. But you admit that if you watch Star Wars, you're kind of a you're, – you're geeky in a good way, right? Yeah, I mean, they're good movies, though. It's a good story. It's, I don't know, I like to, I've been actually on a huge kick of, like, space movies lately, and whether it's Star Wars or, I've, I watched Star Trek, actually, a couple weeks ago. Um, but even, like, the real ones, you know, like, where it's astronauts going to space and stuff like that. I don't know, it's just pretty cool to think about. What's your favorite planet besides planet Earth? Oh, wow. Um, well, I've never been to another planet, so I, I, can't, I can't really tell firsthand. But um, thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> uh, I don't really know. I think they're all seem pretty boring compared to Earth, yeah. to be honest. Um, if we want to keep it on movies, I watched The Martian. Yeah, that was pretty good movies. Mars seems pretty cool. It's got cool storms and stuff, I guess. But <laughs> well, you should check out Interstellar because behind Neptune there is a black hole that sends them to like, mm-hmm. like the universe is like way beyond our yeah, imagination. I've seen that one. What, what do you think about that? That one's cool. That one's trippy though. That one messes with your head a little bit, yeah. especially towards the end. It kind of gets you thinking, but um, like all the different dimensions and space and time and stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty cool to go check out one of those planets one time, you know. I hear the you, big buddy. Wave, the big tidal wave, that, what planet was that? Oh, man, that was scary. That when was they thought that they were, this was a good planet, there was water, and all yeah. of a sudden a wave comes out yeah. of nowhere and destroys them? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. We don't, we don't really have waves like that here, no. so that's good. All right, big thanks to Joey and the Krispy Kreme Cup of Joe. Again, those air during our blues broadcast between the first and second periods during our intermission reports. All right, that wraps it up for our number one of the week in hockey. Hour number two coming your way next right here on 101 ESPN. It's the Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Dan Betlock with you filling in for Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitale. Alex out sick. Joey's in uh, Pittsburgh hanging out with some of his former teammates, going to dinner with some family and friends out in Pittsburgh. So uh, we gave Joey the night off and 
Uh, Alex is just trying to get better before tomorrow night's game, so he doesn't have to play sick. So uh, I'm filling in. Big thanks to Chris Kerber, who helped in the first three segments of the, the show in the first hour, and we're on to hour number two here on the Week in Hockey. Eddie Olchek had a chance to sit down with Alex Ferrario, or I should say Alex Ferrario had a chance to sit down with Eddie Olchek. He's the NBC Sports broadcaster. Of course, he also does games for Comcast Chicago for the Blackhawks. Uh, it was part of our NHL rundown segment last night for our Mitsubishi Electric pregame show presented by First Community for St. Louis Blues Hockey. We call it the NHL rundown where we go where we go around with some of the best storylines, the hottest storylines around the NHL. And Alex did just that with Eddie Olchek. But they first started with the St. Louis Blues and the success that they're having. Yeah, I think that's probably the key, Alex, is that uh, they've been able to you know, withstand uh, a boatload of injuries, and I think that speaks to the culture that Army uh, Doug Armstrong has created, and the job that uh, Craig Berube has done with his staff. And you know, look, you got to look to the leadership inside that locker room as well. To you know, the next man up mentality. Uh, it's a great opportunity for 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 Army and his staff to evaluate. You know, young players that have come in and gotten the opportunity, whether it's on the, you know, it's on the back end or the guys up front that have been banged up. Uh, but I mean, am I surprised? I, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm surprised. Uh, I just think that uh, when you are, uh, you know, when you are the defending Stanley cup champion, you know, you, you have to, you know, you have to bring your a game each and every night. And yeah, there's been a couple of stretches where, you know, the blues haven't been able to score or, you know, they're not finding ways to win, but they're in a heck of a run right now. And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's great to see because you have so many so many good people in that Blues organization. And, uh, you know, look, they had a taste of uh, they got a taste of what it's like to win last year. And uh, I think that, you know, most teams, you know, and in, in, in organizations, they want more once they get that first one. And the Blues are certainly playing like that. But a lot of hockey to be played. And, you know, I know uh a lot has changed here in a year when you think about where the Blues were at this time last season and uh, and look at you know where they ended up. So uh, I'm not surprised. I think it's uh, probably a pleasant surprise, so to speak, that they can continue to play at such a high level and, and play with that consistency because that's what you need in order to have a, a good, strong regular season and into the playoffs. Well, and you've seen it firsthand, Eddie, of the Chicago Blackhawks getting a taste of it when they won their first Stanley Cup and then going on to win it numerous times since that point. Yeah. Looking at this team now, do you feel like they're in the transition period of trying to build that next core of players? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they're in transition for sure. Uh, you know, I mean, I think anytime you go away from, uh, you know, a seasoned coach like Joel Quinville and, and you go to a young coach and Jeremy Colleton and, you know, a lot of the moves that Stan Bowman, the general manager of the Blackhawks has made over the course of the last year, a lot of turnover, a lot of younger players. Uh, yeah, I think that they're in transition, but look, the expectation, I mean, when you talk to this team and the organization, like, you know, they're, they're talking about playoffs, but, you know, right now sitting dead last in the Western Conference, uh, sorry, sitting dead last in the division, only one point out of dead last in the Western Conference. And, you know, when you look at, you know, the, you know, the, the, the wild card teams and, you know, the teams that are, you know, kind of dug themselves out of some holes early in the season, that being, you know, especially San Jose and Dallas that really struggled and now have kind of turned their seasons around. All you need to do is go on a run, but that's a lot easier said than done. So uh, I think they're in a retool more than anything else. And is that good enough to be a bubble team? Yeah, I think it is. 
the goaltending has been just absolutely phenomenal, Alex. The, the tandem of Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford has just been absolutely off the charts so far this year and given the Blackhawks a chance to win a lot of the games that they've been playing in. So, um, you know, we'll see, you know, kind of what transpires here in the next 30 days or so. But, uh, yeah, this is a team that still can be dangerous when you have a guy like Patrick Kane who had an incredible month. He had 24 points in the month of November, the best month that he's ever had in the National Hockey League. And all he could good, all he could get was third star of the month in the National <laughs> Hockey League when you got Nathan McKinnon and, uh, and Connor McDavid right ahead of you, one point each. And uh, so, uh, But, you know, when you talk about the Hawks, you got to talk about Kane, and he's having another great season. Well, and you also got to talk about the Western Conference in general. I mean, you just mentioned it, mentioned it Eddie. Uh, three of the top three stars all coming from the West, two of them from the Central. And it's insane yeah. to sit here and talk about Chicago. And, yes, they're at the bottom of the division. But as you just mentioned, it goes to show you the toughness of this Central division because Chicago's 15 points away from being in the top spot with two games in hand. Hand. Yeah, I mean it's it, it is so it, it is so close. Uh, you know, can, when you when you get hot, Alex, is what do you do with it? Like, can you find ways to win games? And can you go on a roll? Can you go on a heater? And and that's what you know. That's the ability that separates you from everybody else in in the conference and in your division. But you know, do you have that those capabilities? And uh, it is so close. Uh, you know, I mean, look at look at Winnipeg. I mean, Winnipeg lost pretty much their entire defense from last year except for Josh Morrissey and they really struggled early I should have put Winnipeg in there I mean they struggled early but they've dug themselves out of the hole Connor Hellebuck the goalie for Winnipeg has played extremely well so you know Nashville has kind of been in and out but I think everybody expects Nashville to be a playoff team with the defense that they have in Pecorine so look like just get in right like just get in give yourself a chance and uh, you just never know what the heck could happen come playoff hockey. And uh, I think that's how teams pretty much look at it. Is let's look at it in five-game segments and uh, and see if we can get, you know, six or seven points every five games we play. And if you do that, you got a pretty darn good chance of making the playoffs. Final one here with Eddie Olchek, of course, with the Chicago Blackhawks broadcast team and, of course, on NBC Sports as well. Eddie, put this into perspective for me. We're seeing – a sensational season by Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, both above 50 points, and we are just starting the month of December. Yeah. Uh, look, their chemistry is absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, as uh, as they go, uh, so do the Oilers. And, look, you can match up against them. You can uh, play a checking line against them. They're going to get their chances. Like, you know, they're going to get their chances. You just can't give them any freebies. You just can't allow them those free opportunities. You gotta, you know, you gotta know when they're on the ice, and you gotta really make them work for what they're gonna get because they're just absolutely difference makers, and uh, it's just absolutely incredible to see. And and I would throw another guy in there if I can, Alex. I mean, David Pasternak yeah. right now for the Boston Bruins. I was in Boston on Friday for a game on Black Friday on NBC against the New York Rangers, and I think he scored his 24th goal that day and then he scored his 25th I believe it was last night I'm not getting my nights mixed up against the Montreal Canadiens I mean you got 25 and 25 I mean we we haven't heard these kind of numbers since uh the Golden Brett and uh in Wayne Gretzky I mean right. we really haven't like you know even I mean even Ovi I mean I, you know like he's had some incredible runs but when you're looking at a guy averaging a goal a game for the first 25 of the regular season you're sitting there going, this guy's like on an 82-goal 
pace. And, you know, we know he's going to go dry at some point, but, uh, but those guys in Edmondson are uh, obviously special players and, it's always fun to see those guys on TV and much more fun to see them in person because those guys are, are what helps drive the game and sell the game, and uh, it's great to see great talents having fun. And it's nice to see Edmonton winning as well. I mean, it's a great hockey market, as you know, Alex, and we'll see if they can hold on to their place there in the playoffs. I, I believe, and just, uh, Alex, if I can, I, I, just, I believe is that Edmonton and Arizona, both of those teams are playoff teams. Now, are they good enough to stay in the top three in their division? You know, I, I, I could, you know, I could go on both sides, but both those teams are going to be in, in my opinion. So, who's coming out like that? You know, like you know, like that's the beauty of trying to look at this thing and figure it out with everything being equal and everybody staying healthy and no catastrophic injuries or anything. Uh, I think both those teams are going to be in in the Western Conference, and those are two teams that uh, didn't, you know, weren't sniffing the playoffs last year. You talk about excitement, and it's all going to be in the Western Conference. And as you mentioned, Eddie Olchek, it uh, just keeps making the game that much more enjoyable. Eddie Olchek, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Have fun with this Blackhawks and Blues game tonight, and I know we'll be seeing you in St. Louis soon. All right, sounds good, Alex. And also, I get the Blues again on Wednesday night for our uh, our national game on NBCSN with uh, the great Doc Emmerich and Brian Boucher. So I get plenty of Blues hockey here in the next 48 hours. I got the Hawks and Blues tonight, and then... I'll be in Pittsburgh for uh, the Blues and Penguins on Wednesday night. The double whammy Blues coverage there with Eddie Olchek. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that was Eddie Olchek on our NHL Rundown segment. You can catch our NHL Rundown segment on our Mitsubishi Electric pregame shows for St. Louis Blues hockey. Right around the, it's our second segment in our in our pregame show. So we like to go around the hottest topics around the league with some of the um, most well-known hockey personalities. So big thanks to Eddie O for joining us here. All right, we're into hour number two. When we come back, we'll have our Clarkson Jewelers player profile. We'll take a look inside Braden Shen. And John Kelly had a chance to talk with Scotty Bowman recently, so we'll replay that for you next. So more to come on 101 ESPN. The Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Hello, I'm Dan Betlock. I'm filling in for Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitale. They normally captain this ship on Tuesdays from 6 to 8. Alex out sick today. Joey's in Pittsburgh for Blues Pens tomorrow as the Blues look to continue their winning ways on the road. Let's get into a Clarkson Jewelers player profile. You can hear these on our Mitsubishi Electric pregame shows as well. Let's take a look at Braden Shen. It's time to get to know your Blues with a Clarkson Jewelers Blues player profile. Clarkson Jewelers is an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. For tonight's Blues profile, we take a look at the top line centerman, Braden Shen. O'Reilly for Shen. Shen waits, shoots, they score! Already off to an incredible start this season, the Blues forward and alternate captain has 13 goals, 11 assists, and 24 games. And as we often do here on our Clarkson Jeweler Blues profile, we take a look into how players escape from the game. And as Shen notes, with training being a 365 days a year job, it's important to be able to get away. Summertime, obviously, a little different than winter. Summertime's more, um, you know, obviously the odd big but golfing, um, some boating, you know, we live in Kelowna, British Columbia, so just kind of, uh, 
you know, hanging out. It's, there's a big lake that runs right to the middle of the city. So there's multiple things, obviously, you know, like paddle boarding, stuff like that. So it's all good. I think it's important to, you know, obviously hockey, it takes a toll. The way it goes, even from now when I broke in, it's kind of guys and starts getting till August, mid-August and kind of, you know, get going that way. I think now the way it is with the young kids and, and coming up and everyone so much on the line with obviously NHL and, and the job and the way the business is going, you pretty much have to skate lots of summer now and you're training all summer and and uh if not the next guy's gonna probably take your job so you know it's kind of a full-on full-time job um which it should be obviously but um so i think it's important to get away from it uh, as much as possible plenty of travel in the nhl season and plenty of chances to unwind so where in his opinion are the best road trips favorite road cities it kind of goes without saying the fun ones are dallas vegas new york la um you know tampa's always it's always good to go down to florida stuff like that too so obviously those are the tops of the list you know the warm weather where it's kind of got everything the restaurants and some cool places to go i think vegas is always cool you can kind of do whatever you want you can obviously go out and and have a good night or you kind of go just have a good dinner go to a show or you know you can gamble or do it you know i mean vegas is obviously has it all and it's kind of cool to go there plenty of memories to be made out on the road especially with your teammates so for Braden shen which ones stand out the fun things are you know rookie parties where you kind of you know have your night out as a team and have your your rookie dinner and stuff like that guys uh, obviously have a lot of fun that night and uh, a lot of jokes and laughs and stuff like that so those are nights uh you know when it's all said and done those are nights you're going to miss and, and you're going to remember the most is when you you have fun with uh, big team dinners and, and guys are a good time. Rookie parties are legendary in the National Hockey League, and it was for Braden as he recounts his rookie year party. First year, uh, we were in Newport Beach, California, and the bill came, and the bill wasn't high enough for the, the guys in charge. I won't say the guys' names in charge. So there was, I think, happened to be there were so many rookies on the team that year. I think there was like seven of us. So, and then we went out that night uh, in Newport, and there was like dead, no one out. So guys kind of, um, said that's not a rookie party that's not kind of how you do it so we did it the next year following year in uh atlantic city uh new jersey just outside of philadelphia the kind of the same group of guys kind of had to pay the bill two years in a row so hey it's all in uh, all in good fun you're never gonna be mad about paying uh, a rookie dinner it's uh you know it's kind of a welcome to the league moment well whatever shen is doing to unwind throughout the nhl season he needs to keep doing it because he's putting up incredible numbers for the blues as they hold on to that top spot in the western conference So a deeper look into Braden Shen's off-ice activities and how he likes to get away from the game of hockey. The Behind the Bench with John Kelly airs Thursday nights here on 101 ESPN, and he had a chance to talk with legendary coach and former Blues head coach from way back in the day, Scotty Bowman. Of course, the Bowman curse is no no more here in St. Louis as the Blues won the Cup last year, but J.K. had a chance to sit down with Scotty to talk about those first years uh, of existence for the St. Louis Blues. Here's Scotty Bowman with John Kelly. Legendary Hall of Fame coach Scotty Bowman, of course, nine cups as a coach, over 1,200 wins. And Scotty, you just came out with a book actually written by Ken Dryden, your former goaltender in Montreal. It's called Scotty, A Hockey Life Like No Other. So I guess the first question is why, after all these years, did you finally decide to do a book? Well, I always thought, John, if you were going to do a book, your life kind of stopped. But Ken phoned me about three years ago and said, you know, you've seen hockey since the late 40s you got to put it down in writing. And Suella was always my wife. 
always saying, you know, you got a good memory, but you know, you got to put it down in print. So he, he convinced me that we could do it on our own schedule. And and we, I used to I come down here in October, and he would phone me twice a week. We'd work on a, on just interviews, and then he would send me the transcripts and say, is this what you said and this what you meant? And then he, he of course, he's done books before. So I felt I felt comfortable because we knew each other too. Scotty, I've read half the book. It's excellent and great detail. I mean, did you write things down over the course of your career, or do you, you just have a photographic memory? No, I, I, we kept, uh, we, we are collectors. We kept a lot of, a lot of paperwork and a lot of programs and yearbooks. But no, I, I always tried to. I, I think it came from the days when I, when I got injured and I didn't play. I went to work for a paint company in Montreal, Sherwin Williams, and at that time. Uh, I was in uh, the stock records, and I had to memorize a lot of different codes for three different uh, three different kinds of. They had three companies, so I think I developed my memory, but uh, most of it was from my memory. And of course, it was almost uh, 52 years ago to the day. It was uh, a few weeks ago in November in '67 when Lynn Patrick came to you and said, "I will no longer coach the team," and he wanted you to coach. Do you remember the the night it happened? And the day it happened? I do remember. We were having a tough time getting, we, we were getting better, but we weren't winning. And we were sort of falling a little bit behind. Although, as you know, John, that first year, only six points separated the first and the 15th. But we, uh, yeah, I, I, I knew I was going to coach the second year. So it wasn't, I mean, I was a little bit nervous going in. I, I didn't know our players in Kansas City, though. And he said, look, whatever you want to do, because we, we had some players that I thought could come up and help us. And I think we had, fellows that were down there like Terry Crisp and guys like that. We made some changes but the big the big trade that year which lasted a long time for them, getting Red Berenson and the late Barkley Plager. We, we traded our leading scorer but Ron Stewart was about in the mid-30s at the time. Rangers wanted a good checker that could play because they were a good team at those years. They wanted somebody that might be able to keep up with Bobby Hull and so we it was uh, the timing was perfect. I had no one read from minor hockey days with Hull Ottawa. He, he had the misfortune of coming up to Montreal at the wrong time with so many strong centers and Red played for the Rangers a little bit. He'd broken his leg the year before so we got really lucky. We got Red Berenson. I I always thought that Red for the first three or four years in, the, in that West Division there was not a better forward that could play both ways and of course everybody knows Barkley Plager. He was about mid-twenties when we got him. Got him out of the American League and he was, I think Barkley would have told you, even if he could, Al Arbor meant so much to Barkley. And that solidified our defense and forwards. Scotty Bowman, Bobby Plager told me last spring, you sent him a note after game two of the Blues series against Winnipeg, basically saying after the Blues won the second game to go up 2-0, that the Blues drought of going to the final might end. How did you know that? I was trying to kid him like I always did. I was, I was saying to him, Bob, you know, you're not going to be a parading around St. Louis anymore as the only person that's ever been in the final. So I did it as a joke. And in fact, when I got a text a few months ago, about a month ago, about the new arena, and, you know, and, I, and they said, well, Bob's going to down skates with his grandson and go for a skate. So I, I texted him again. I said, I hope you don't fall over the blue lines like you used to. <laughs> but I, I, Bob was, a, you know, he was an important part of our team. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to say that 
like finally after 50 years, it must have been such a great thrill for Bob. He's one of the many that stayed there, but he was an original blue. Scotty, you've seen a lot in your days. Did you ever think you'd seen a team go from last place on January 2nd to win a cup? Not with the parity in the league, and uh, that's so unusual. You know, uh, uh, once again, a change seemed to make the difference, and uh, I was I was like most of the ex-Blues. I once uh, once we didn't make the playoffs in Chicago. I was I was I was texting a little bit with Glenn Hall. I know how interested he was, but I think when you look at it, the just the, the way that the thing trans- transpired, and of course I knew Larry Robinson from my days with him in Montreal, and uh, I just I was amazed the turnaround that the team showed. New goaltender, it seemed to be a fresh face for the team, and uh, you're right, it's uh, a story that'll be hard to duplicate. No question about it. Scotty, I've enjoyed the book. Again, it's Scotty, a hockey life like no other. It's always great to chat with you. Thank you very much. Good luck, John. Thanks. So cool to get a little history there from John Kelly and Scotty Bowman about the early years of St. Louis Blues hockey. All right, coming up next, Joy Vitale, who normally hosts this show with Alex. He joined the Fast Lane this afternoon to talk some Blues hockey. We'll replay that interview for you next right here on The Week in Hockey. Dan Betlock with you, 101 ESPN. The Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Dan Betlock filling in for Alex Ferrario and Joy Vitale. Speaking of Joey Vitale, let's get to an interview here in just a second that he did with the Fast Lane. But don't forget, coming up next, we'll have a highlight recap of the Blues win over the Blackhawks. So you'll hear all the best highlights from last night's victory over the Chicago Blackhawks. Joe Vitale was in with the Fast Lane today with his regular weekly hit. Here's what Joey had to say with the Fast Lane, talking St. Louis Blues hockey. That is the really cool part of being a part of a team is that teammates usually do a very good job of making sure that everybody else is taken care of. If you know somebody, you bring a handful of guys with you. If it's your home, you're bringing even more than that. That is a, a cool thing and obviously something that the Blues have a special bond anyhow. No man left behind, huh? Well, it's a tight group. It is, Brad. It's a really tight group here in St. Louis. And, you know, we're very lucky to have really good people here. And you know, I talked to some of the other teams around the league and, and some teams just aren't that lucky. And I think that you look at the leadership group, not just from the team standpoint, uh, but from the broadcasters. I, everyone at Fox Sports Midwest uh, has been terrific. Everyone gets along really well. And it, it always is like that. I mean, we get to cities and uh, right when we get to the hotel room, uh, within five to ten minutes, we have a group chat line that kind of gets fired up and uh, someone throws it out there, where are we going to dinner tonight? And guys just start throwing around Italian steak, uh, uh, sushi, whatever, you know what I mean, and meet in lobbies this time. And everyone does get together uh, on a routinely basis. So it is really nice to have had that, especially around the holidays, as you mentioned, because uh, there are times you are away from your family. Uh, for example, we're heading to San Jose in L.A. It's the last trip before Christmas. A bit of a tough schedule this year for the Blues as far as the travel because we're on the road in L.A. before the three-day break. And then we go right to Winnipeg on December 27th. So we're already kind of organizing. I'm kind of spearheading a dinner in L.A. for the whole group. Uh, not only dinner, but we're going to do a, a gag gift exchange, which I go back as a player. I remember it was one of my favorite times of the year, my favorite nights of the year, where every player draws another player, and then you give them a gag gift, something funny, something cheap, obviously under $10, but something to kind of, you know, for them to open up at dinner, and then you kind of reflect on something, a funny quirk about that player, and everyone kind of shares in the lap. So we're going to implement that this year around Christmas time. But again, it's just about getting everyone together and, and making them feel like the second family that they are. I have one more thing before we get into the actual hockey stuff. Have you figured out the difference between Paul Revere and Paul Bunyan yet? 
dude, I, I, I don't know why I keep messing that up. Like, it's not that hard, right, guys? I mean, <laughs> I mean, not at all. This is the third time over the last two years I have screwed that up. Last year, <laughs> uh, of course, we were on KMOX, but uh, if you guys heard it, uh, I think Colton Pareko took like, a hard whack on someone, and I said, oh, he curves, he comes down on her. He, he looks like he was chopping down uh, you know, an apple tree like Paul Revere, and Curb just goes, Joe, I think you're talking about George Washington. <laughs> and it was and a cherry tree. Night, yeah, it was a cherry tree. And, and um, you know, to my defense, to my defense, and, and this is true, you know, and to this day, people are, you know, laugh about that. I say, okay, so you're going to tell me that Paul Revere, who was born throughout the American Revolution, spearheaded that whole movement, um, not a lot of technology, you know, you're telling me he never cut down an apple tree at some point in his life, you know, and then people just kind of laugh. And then last night, I, I don't know, I got Paul Bunyan. I, I thought Paul Revere was the big giant, but then he told me it was Paul Bunyan. These Pauls, man, they got me all confused. Which one has an ox? <laughs> That's Paul Bunyan, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, nailed yeah, it. I, I actually saw there's a huge Paul Bunyan ox statue in Minnesota in Brainerd, of all places, yep. which is the city north. I don't know if you guys heard of it. Or yep. It's about three hours north of Minneapolis. It's famous for the Paul Bunyan and Blue Ox, a big old statue. I went to the hockey camps up there growing up. And uh, so I should, I should have that by now, but, you know, I don't know, man. These, I, I've been hitting the head a lot, guys, throughout my career, which is still a shock why I got this job. But I'm hanging in there, and Curbs is keeping me on it. Joey Vitale with us in the fast lane on 101 ESPN. How does uh, what the Blues are doing stack up to what you've seen as an NHL player, as an NHL analyst, as an NHL fan? I find what the Blues are doing to be remarkable. What do you think? I do, too. You know, I really do, Randy. I I looked at this thing uh, about three or four weeks ago when Vladimir Tarasenko goes down, when Alexander Steen, well, let me just back up for a second. You come into this year, I guess. And, you know, you got this target on your back, and it's really hard to repeat. It's really hard to come out and to play good hockey right away because of that target. The Blues kind of wiped that slate clean. They they proved to the team, they proved to everyone in the league that not only are they going to get pushed around, but that wasn't a fluke last year. They actually are are a really good team. So that was step one. Then step two really came when a lot of injuries came to play. Vladimir Tarasenko goes down. Alexander Steen goes down. Sammy Blay, Oscar Sundquist, they started to pile up. Then you started thinking, okay, well, this is where they're going to break. This is where this is where they're officially going to bend, 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 and then they're going to break. They're going to go through a little bit of a lull here because of the injuries. We kind of saw this coming. Everyone thought in November that would be a lot of injuries, and this team would finally start to fall off. Well, that happened, and what are we seeing now? We're seeing the Blues are continuing to win, and this is the most amazing thing, and you, you call it fascinating. I would use that word as well because at some point you're wondering up there. I'm, I'm wondering up there in the booth at what point is it going to give? At what point are these guys going to start losing games? At what point are they going to start stop getting the balance? At what point are they going to stop getting the save? And every game you think it might be coming, they just continue to go out there and prove it more and more and keep winning games. Now that happened to me about three or four weeks ago where I kind of got that. And then a couple of days ago, I'm sitting up there looking at this team and I'm kind of thinking to myself, okay, they're injury plagued. The travel's been atrocious. These guys are exhausted. They're Stanley Cup champs. They, they don't have any, anything to prove anymore. Why do they keep winning? And I'm out there watching Nathan Walker fly around on that first line. I'm watching uh, Jacob Della Rose, who they got from Detroit, uh, kind of revive that fourth line. Mackenzie McEachern, who didn't really get a good chance in the playoffs last year, now he's coming up and playing good. Ivan Barbashev, his minutes are increased. Now he's stepping up big. Justin Falk. Um, you kind of keep going through, and there's about six or seven players now into this lineup that weren't there at the beginning of the year. And instead of looking at it like, 
these are younger players. These are call-ups. These are trades. These are nobodies that are going to hurt the Blues. I actually think it's the opposite now. I think what we're starting to see is that with Craig Berube, the style that required under Craig Berube to win games like they did last year for the Stanley Cup Finals, it requires energy. It requires players to play aggressive. I think if you have Tarasenko and Steen, and I think if you have a healthy group, I think that's when the Blues would probably start would be losing right now. But instead, they have young guys. They have feisty guys coming up from the minors that are full of energy and full of vinegar, and they want to go out there and they want to play hard for Coach Berube. So it's kind of been the, the opposite effect. I think the Blues have used these injuries in their advantage because now instead of having a group of tired, a whole group of tired Stanley Cup champions, now you have about six, seven, eight guys who weren't really throughout that playoff run last year that are full of that energy and that are carrying the pace and then they're playing great hockey and they're picking up the slack for the injuries and they're playing that Craig Berube aggressive style of hockey with a lot of energy because they have a lot of energy. So I think that's what has really become evident to me and it's just amazing how it's all kind of unfolded, but it's been fun to watch. Joey, life is good when you got a couple of goalies that are tearing it up also. Jake Allen, what was uh, unreal again last night, we know what Bennington has done. That's kind of a nice weapon to have at your disposal, isn't it? Well, yeah, because, you know, you, want, you don't want to lean on one guy too much. You know, no one wants to lean on one player too much. You know, it's the same pride for pitching. Some pitchers probably want a night off, I would imagine. I never played the sport. but if Some I'm wanted two weeks off. You know what I mean, Brad? But if you're a closer for a team, you know, if you get to go out there and, and close out a, a one-run a one run game every single night, at some point it would be nice to look up at the scoreboard in the eighth inning and see you have a 6 nothing lead and you're going to throw someone else out there. And I think that's what we're starting to see now with Jordan Bennington. You know, they were going to use Jake Allen when the season started. Simply the, the main reason to use Jake Allen was when Jordan Bennington needed rest. So a back-to-back situation, two games in a row, maybe two out of three uh, coming up on a weekend. At some point, you guys are Jake in there because you want to get Bennington a little bit of rest. Because of how well Jake has played, especially on the road, it's kind of flipping out. It's not just to get Bennington rest. They're putting him in there because they, they, they really look at these games like we can win this game. Jake's played very well in this building. He's playing really good on the road. So not only are we going to get Bennington a little bit of rest, but we're going to get Jake in there to kind of stay sharp as well. So another pressure. A little bit off Jordan Bennington. You know, I also compare it to a quarterback in football. If you're a dynamic quarterback like Tom Brady, what's your best asset? To have a good running game. It takes the pressure off you from throwing the ball every single down. You run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and then every now and then you can throw, and then you catch the defense off guard. Well, it's the same way for Jordan Bennington. He doesn't have to have the pressure to go out there and throw a 30-yard throw every single time because he's got a great backup where every now and then he can take a seat on the bench, reflect on it, look at the game, maybe think of it from a different angle, and kind of um, regroup himself night in, night out, where Jake's going to come in there and serve some really good minutes. But the the team is playing incredible in front of him. Jake has always been a good teammate uh, his whole time in St. Louis, but I think he really endeared himself to his teammates, especially in that last playoff run. Uh, a humbling process for Jake, of course, last year, having a youngster come in like Bennington take over the job. Not only that, but win a Stanley Cup championship. And Jake just went a step further, not only being a great teammate throughout the process, but you know, emulating the goaltenders throughout the playoff stretch, acting like Tuka Rask in practices, acting like Hellebuck in practice, just for the team. I mean, that takes a lot of you know selflessness, putting your ego aside and doing what's best for the team. I think really in that moment, uh, the team uh, really grew to love Jake even more. And now you see him play, 
and it's just amazing. Like last night in Chicago, I mean, guys are blocking shots even to the last minute because you're up 4 nothing, but they didn't care. They wanted to make sure Jake got the, the big goose egg at the end of the night. So it certainly is great having not only one goaltender, but now the Blues have two. And uh, to me, guys, right now, the best one-two punch in the National Hockey League. Big thanks to Joey Vitale. Again, he couldn't make it for the show tonight, but uh, was able to do a, a quick hit for the fast lane earlier this afternoon. All right, coming up next, we'll have a highlight recap of Blues Blackhawks. That's next here on 101 ESPN. Welcome back into the Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Final segment here as we wrap it up this Tuesday, two-hour edition of the Week in Hockey. My name is Dan Betlock. I've been driving this ship, filling in for Alex Ferrario. Enjoy Vitaly. Those two should be back with you next Tuesday. I'll be producing back in my normal role. But let's hear the how the St. Louis Blues beat the Chicago Blackhawks last night. Blues with a nice 4-0 victory over the Hawks. Jake Allen with a shutout. He's now second all-time in shutouts in St. Louis Blues history. Continues to climb up the charts. Jake played fantastic last night, especially in that second period where he made 11 saves. And the Blues took care of business on the road in Chicago last night. Let's hear how it happened. Dumped it in for Chicago. The Blues get it back. Vincent's going to put it into the front. They shoot it. Score! Crawford gave it up in the middle, and Mackenzie McEachern will pump it in on the backhand. Vince Dunn's going to get an assist, and the Blues have scored first just two minutes and 34 seconds into period number one. What a terrific play here by Vince Dunn, who gets the red line, and instead of hard rimming it or a soft chip into the corner, he smokes it off the boards right behind Corey Crawford. And these spores at the United Center, I remember, they're very springy, not only on the yellow dasher, but even around the white boards. It smokes the Geico sign right behind Corey Crawford, comes smoking right back out into the high slot. And Mackenzie McEachern on his first shift of the game takes that deflection, a bobbling puck. Good hand-eye coordination right there. Bar Wayne Kane with a shot, Allen. Made the save. The puck to the near side for Debrinkin is playing away. And on a breakaway, it's Bozak. Short-handed in the clear, and he shoots it high. Missed the net. And the puck into the corner. Gustafson is there. Well, that's his spot. Tyler Bozak, when he takes those shootouts, he always goes high glove. Petrangelo, his shot to the goal, blocked down. And here's O'Reilly back to get it. Now to Perron. Up to Petrangelo. Looking to shoot it. He does. He scores! Schwartz was in front, might have had a piece of it, but it's a power play goal. As Petrangelo shot it to the net, and the Blues have a 2-0 lead. Just 14 seconds into the power play. Yeah, it looked like Jaden Schwartz is certainly going to get a piece of this. Another shot from the outside from Petrangelo. Terrific setup right after the faceoff win here for the Blues. Something Mark Crawford wants to continue to see improve here for this power play. As good as it's been, it's still... Getting chances right off a of faceoff. The Blues do just that. Ryan O'Reilly wins this puck back. It gets in the hands of Petrangelo before the Chicago Blackhawks can really get any kind of setup. Throws it at the net. It's a simple shot, but when you have a good screen like James Schwartz was there, a good piece right over the blocker. Schwartz coming off the near side with it. Plays that to Dunn. Sidesteps one. Cuts it to the middle. He shot it underneath Crawford. It hit the post and stayed out. What a shot that Crawford wasn't expecting. Blocked away by Bozak. And Thomas has it for the Blues. Turns right back into Vadim. That allows Murphy to hold it in. They keep it in the fire circle and shoot it on. Stand-up save by Allen. Blues get to the puck. They'll clear it out and a good clear on Jake Allen. Here's Kane. Comes off the wall. They give him the forehand. And Allen was square to the shot. A screen from Saad. And Allen made the save. Blues transition to center. Released by Brower in behind the net. But Chicago gets it back. Wraparound grab near side. To the blue line. Shot to the goal. And another save by Allen. That'll be his 11th save of the second period. 
With 2.36 to go, the Blues still holding to the two-goal lead they came to the period with. Now to Saad at center. He walks into the Blues zone, fires the shot on, and another save by Allen. His 23rd of the hockey game. Jake Allen came into tonight 11 wins behind Mike Leute for the all-time win total as the St. Louis Blue. Blues get to the puck in their own end. Petrangelo going over the line. Far side to Schwartz in the slot. Comes to Shen and he scores! You asked for it, Joe, you got it. Braden Shen, a slapper from the near dot inside the far post. 3-0 Blues, 11.04 to go in the third period of play. Well, this is what the Blues needed, big time. You got to bury teams, especially teams that are in the bottom of your division like the Chicago Blackhawks, and they do just that, and it's this top line. And who else has set it up besides Nathan Walker? His first full game with this top unit, he makes this play happen. As you're going to see Colton Braco throw it to the net, it's going to end up on the stick of Nathan Walker. He's got eyes behind his head. He lines up for the shot. He feels Braden Shen right behind him, behind the back pass, sets Braden Shen up perfectly for a one-time who does not miss as he goes high blocker for the second time again on Corey Crawford here tonight. Perico gliding cross ice to block it in behind the net. Doc trying to wrap it around and on. Did Allen to save. Another chance on. Allen that save. Chance side far. Wing and a shot came through. Hit Perico. Didn't go to the goal line. Mana will pinch in. So they tried to force it in front. It's blocked away to the corner. 218 to go. Knocked it into the corner and it's coming loose to Zach Smith. 510 to go. This one's out of the zone. And Bo Meester goes back to make the play. Camp got it back. Walks it in front. Terrific defense. The Blues recover with Bo Meester and Falk and no shot away. Slid all the way through past Perron. Nylander turns to the right and then blows a tire. He went down hard. Puck coming in. Sot around Dunn. Shooting it. And another save by Allen. The puck stays in play. Doc in along the far side, the 18-year-old. Like popcorn curves, pop, pop, pop. He's snapping them off his pads and just popping right up. 154 to go. We're in the third. 3-0 Blues. Hawks turn it over. Wire a shot. They score! Tyler Bozak intercepted a clearing pass at the blue line. Took a stride. Slap shot the puck to the back of the net. And it's 4-0 Blues. 149 to go in the third. Well, Christmas came early for Tyler Bozak is you're going to see Connor Murphy, the defenseman for the Blackhawks, in the near side corner in the defensive zone, just throw it right up the middle of the ice. I'm not really sure who he saw and what he was looking at, but Tyler Bozak, right spot, right time, collects it right between the hash marks. He just winds up for a slap shot, and it's gotten bad in Chicago. I've never seen this many empty seats before the third period buzzer rings. The 37 saves, Hawks bring it in, shoot it on, and a rebound knocked away. Allen trying to tie Yarrow Halak for second most shutouts in Blues history with 20. Four seconds to go. He's going to do it. The time winds down. You can bring out the Zamboni. Jake Allen, 38 saves, shuts out the St. Louis Blues. And the Blues skate to or shuts out the Chicago Blackhawks. And the St. Louis Blues skate to a 4-0 victory. I paused because they stopped the clock with .9 seconds to go, and it looked like the game might not have been over. I think they may have stopped with .2. Something happened in the corner, but I think the refs just said, that's it. So Jake Allen shuts out the Blackhawks, his 20th shutout, first ever against Chicago. He ties Jarrell Halak 
for second all-time. They're five shutouts behind Brian Elliott's number 25. Blues have now won four games in a row and approved their record to 18-5-6. They are now 10-2-3 on the road, and that is now the second-longest road point streak in team history as the Blues have picked up points in 10 consecutive road games that's a lot going on and a heck of a run for this hockey team. The Blues now sit at 18-5-6 and six atop the Western Conference, atop the Central Division. That's going to wrap it up for the week in hockey. We're back on with Blues Hockey tomorrow with, at 6 p.m. Mitsubishi Electric pregame show presented by First Community starts at 6, the BMW of West St. Louis. Pregame skate starts at 6.30, puck drop just after 7 with Curbs and Joey. That's going to wrap it up here for the week in hockey. Remember, folks, as I always say, go see a ball game often. Follow your local teams. It really is fun for the entire family. Dan Betlock signing off on 101 ESPN. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.